Thank you, Abby. Good evening. Evening. Wonderful to be with you all. Uh, shall we uh, pray together? And then we're going to jump into God's word. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. Thank you that each time we come to it, regardless of how we feel or where we're at, you speak because you promise to speak through your word. And so God, we want to ask that tonight you would give us ears to hear what you want to say and then boldness and obedience to follow where you lead. We ask that you'd come now by your spirit and be at work within each one of us to make all this possible. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, we have a, a bit of uh, unresolved conflict uh, in the Freeman household uh, that I want to be transparent with you all this evening, just to kind of get off my chest. If that's all right, uh, sorry to start on a sour note, but, uh, but uh, it, it turns out that Steph and I have a disagreement that we've not been able to get past, uh, and it's specifically uh, about this, Apple Maps versus Google Maps. Uh, and I'm afraid, and other sat-navs are available, but those are our two of choice. Uh, and I'm afraid to say that I am an advocate, uh, despite the seeming reasons not to be, uh, for Apple Maps. Uh, and it's got me into all sorts of trouble uh, over uh, our marriage, uh, mainly because it's often not as good. But I, I stand by it. Uh, but this came to a particular head recently when we were uh, on holiday in Cornwall. And it turns out, in our experience, Apple Maps doesn't deal very well with Cornwall. And so we, we were going out one evening to uh, buy food from a supermarket. We needed to get ourselves dinner. Uh, and so I kind of found the kind of the nearest Sainsbury's on Apple Maps, hit directions, told it to get us there. And Steph, uh, having had a few experiences that week already of Apple, Apple Maps not working, kind of warned me, said, John, no, use Google Maps. We need to actually get there and get some food. But I insisted uh, that Apple Maps was the right decision. So off I went following the, the sat-nav. And it all started so well. I mean, it got us to the town I knew we were aiming for. It kind of took us down some streets that kind of said supermarket on the signs. It all looked promising. But then it turned us down a road that very quickly and very obviously uh, was a residential street. And then it did that annoying thing. I don't know if Satnaf has ever done this to you, where it just said, you have reached your destination. And we looked around at the houses and, and what was around us, and we clearly hadn't, but Apple Maps was sure that we had. And so we kind of, we stopped, we pulled over to the side of the road and we looked around a bit. And pretty soon we saw Sainsbury's, a couple of hundred meters away, uh, on the other side of a river. Um, <laughs> Apple Maps had taken us to the wrong place. I had to kind of swallow my pride and, and sign into Google Maps and, and get it to take us the rest of the way. And the reason that I tell this story, it's partly because I'm carrying bitterness and speaking to you is cheaper than therapy, uh, but, but also, uh, as I've been thinking about tonight, uh, I've been confronted with the question that made me think about that story, and the question is this, uh, who is it that we are following? Throughout John's gospel up to this point, in the kind of nine chapters that we've read so far, Jesus has been making claims about his divinity and his messiahship, messiahship. Put differently, uh, with words that I can say, Jesus uh, has been going around Israel claiming explicitly and implicitly that he is Israel's promised king, their true 
king. And unsurprisingly, this claim that he's been making over and over again hasn't been sitting well uh, with the rulers and authorities who were in power at the time, and particularly the Pharisees, ruling class of religious leaders who doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. And so in this passage, after a particular run-in with the Pharisees that we read about in chapter 9, you may remember it from last week, where Jesus heals a blind man, Jesus confronts the Pharisees with their claims of who they are, their protests of his claims of who he is. And in confronting them, he's trying to explain to all the people who are listening what sort of king he is, the sort of king that he's claiming to be. And at the same time, he's giving his assessment of the Pharisees and the other rulers of the time. And what Jesus says, he asks a question implicitly, I think, which I want to suggest resonates down the ages to us this evening. Because Jesus asks, who are we going to follow? The bad shepherds or the good shepherd? And of course, to make that sort of assessment for ourselves, we need to know how they're different and how we can choose the right one. And so tonight, in our time together, I want to ask those questions. Who are you following? And how can you make sure that when you've picked the right person to follow, you're following them well? And let's uh, do that. Let's answer those questions by jumping into this passage. Uh, And I want to begin by looking at how Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And I want to suggest to you tonight three things that we learn about Jesus as the true king of Israel through these parables that he tells. Firstly, that he loves us. Secondly, that he leads us. And thirdly, that he protects us. That's what it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd. Let's start with the truth that the good shepherd loves us. Verse 3, if you've got it open on your phone or in a Bible in front of you, uh, look at it with me. Verse 3 says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, some of you here tonight might uh, know about Soul Survivor. Uh, Soul Survivor, if you don't know, is a, a youth Christian festival that has recently stopped but used to happen uh, every year in the summer. And it was uh, led in part by a number of people, but it was led by a man called Mike Pilavachi. And Mike tells a story that I love uh, about uh, people hearing God's voice. Because he tells the story of one meeting uh, in which he was, he was leading from the front and he was praying and just asking God what he was saying. And he had this prophetic sense, this sense of God speaking to him, that God wanted to say that there was a man in, in the crowd, the, the crowd of 8,000 young people, that there was a man there called Brian, uh, who was an atheist, uh, and who had come along uh, because his friends had spent the whole year kind of trying to persuade him, and finally he, he gave in. Uh, and Mike's sense uh, that God was saying was that Mike had spent the entire week mocking and, uh, and laughing at what their friends were doing, having no interest in the worship and the teaching and God. But 
Mike thought that, that God was saying that Brian had just prayed in his head so no one else around him knew. And he prayed to God and said, God, if you're real, would you speak to Mike at the front who's leading and use him to prove to me that you're real? And so Mike tells a story that he was unsure and uncertain, but he shared this word. And sure enough, at the back of this crowd of 8,000 young people, one teenage boy stood up and slowly made his way to the front. And Mike asked him his, his name, and sure enough, it was Brian. And Brian gave his, his life to Jesus uh, that evening. Uh, but the bit of the story that I love comes next, because apparently Brian spent the next day and the rest of his time at, at the festival going around the campsite, uh, speaking, running up to his friends and to strangers alike. And he'd go up to them and say, God knows my name. God knows my name. It's a great story. I love it. Uh, but I wonder, do you realize that God knows your name? That he doesn't keep you at arm's length as some unknown stranger. But he draws you in, that he comes close and knows you personally. That to him you're an individual, known and loved and recognized, not just another person in a faceless crowd. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of the Narnia books, puts it like this in one of his other novels. He says, when Jesus died in the wounded world, he died not for people, but for each person. If each person had been the only person made, he would have done no less. Do you know that God knows your name? Do you know that God didn't just die for people, but he died for you? died for me as individuals known and loved. The good shepherd loves you. Steve, Katie, Sophie, enter your name here. God knows your name. It's written on his heart and he cares for you. The good shepherd loves you. The second thing I want to suggest we see through these parables is that the good shepherd leads you. We heard in verse 3 that the, the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd and they follow wherever he goes. And, and this is quite literally how shepherding uh, worked in ancient Israel and in some places still works today. In fact, if you're uh, so inclined, you can go onto YouTube and find uh, videos of it. Uh, ancient Israelite shepherds wouldn't, some people are laughing at me for that, they're not interested in going on YouTube and finding that, but I was interested and I went and, and saw examples of shepherds doing this. You know, I'm used to kind of pictures and, and illustrations of, of shepherds kind of chasing and terrifying their sheep with sheepdogs or, or going behind them and chasing them with a shepherd's staff, but you can see examples and, and what happened in ancient, ancient Israel was shepherds not scaring or terrifying or bullying from the back, but leading from the front and calling their shepherds, by, their shepherds, their sheep, by name. And the sheep following when they heard not just any voice, but their voice. And it's this metaphor 
of the sheep going ahead and calling his sheep onwards. It's this metaphor that Jesus uses to describe himself as king. He leads from the front and invites us onwards to follow him. And he leads into a very particular pasture. Look at verse 10 with me. It says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads his sheep, as we've been thinking all the way through this series, into abundant life. The author John Mark Comer, uh, who some of you may know, I'm a big fan of, do go and read any of his books. But the author John Mark Comer defines abundant life, which is the subject of the good news, uh, like this. He says, the good news is is the life you've always wanted. And it's the truth that the life that you've always wanted is fully available to you right where you are, through Jesus. Through him, you have access, and this is the life he's talking about, through him you have access to the Father's loving presence. Nothing, not your income level or stage of life or health or relationship status, nothing is standing between you and the life that is truly life. Jesus leads us not just into any life, not into a humdrum life, not into just a boring, uh, inward-looking, shrinking life, but he leads us into abundant life, good pastures for our soul. And I don't know how you feel about your life uh, when you assess it at the moment. We've been doing a lot of assessing of our lives, haven't we, at the turn of the decade and the start of a new year, and I don't know how you feel when you think about where your life is at the moment, whether you're fully satisfied with it, whether you feel like you're living abundantly and spaciously and joyfully, or whether you feel like at the moment you're missing out on that. But God in Jesus Christ has for you nothing less than abundant life, perfectly fulfilled when he comes again, but starting now, starting today. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your saviour and shepherd, and you're feeling like things are just fine. But can I humbly and gently suggest that it won't last? Something, a hiccup in your plans, an unexpected turn in your career, a heartbreak in your family, will come along. And it will be able to shake and break the foundations of your life. Can I suggest that you need better foundations? Or maybe you're here and you're someone who tries to follow Jesus, but but you're not yet sure if you've experienced that sort of life to the full. And the invitation to us Tonight and every day with Jesus is to commit again to hearing his voice, trusting in his goodness as he leads us and following wherever he goes, knowing that where he leads us to is abundant life. We'll come back in just a moment about how we do that practically. But the good shepherd loves us. The good shepherd leads us. 
And finally, the good shepherd protects us. One of the jobs uh, of uh, a shepherd, particularly in ancient Israel, was just that to protect his sheep uh, from prowling predators from, I don't know what the predators are in ancient Israel. I was going to say lion, but that doesn't feel right. But whatever a predator is in Israel, the the shepherd's job uh, was to protect them. And what they would do is that they would go out uh, on behalf of their sheep and face that danger themselves. They would risk their own lives uh, so that their sheep would be safe. And I think that God has chosen the illustration of what he is like as a king to be likened to a shepherd very carefully. Because soon enough in this gospel, we're going to be coming to the story of Easter, to the story of the cross. And we believe that on the cross, Jesus faced our greatest enemy, that he faced full on, that he went out for us to meet sin and death head on. And in doing so, he made certain that you and I, as we put our trust in him, as our shepherd and rescuer. He made sure that you and I don't have to face an enemy that we'd have no hope of finding victory against. This is what Jesus is pointing to, particularly in verse 11, when he says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus knew, and and already in his gospel, he's signposting us towards the fact that he had come amongst other things, but perhaps primarily to die for us. And in doing so, to protect us and rescue us and save us as the sheep of his flock. All this, this love, this leading, this protection is what Jesus offers as the good shepherd to you and to me as we put our trust in him. This is the picture he wants you and I to have every time we hear one of his claims that he is king, that he is God, that he is Messiah. What that means is this, that he loves us, that he leads us and that he protects us. But he contrasts this with the bad shepherds uh, and that Jesus in this particular instance is confronting the Pharisees. Jesus is saying that they don't have Israel's best interests at heart. They're unable or unwilling to lead people into the good pastures of abundant life but rather through fear and coercion they end up chasing and driving people towards death. And, you know, I think at this point, the easy thing to do would be to point our fingers at those people 2,000 years ago that we just read about in the pages of this book and say, yes, they're the problem. Those are the bad shepherds. Thank goodness that we can avoid them and look to Jesus. But can I suggest that there's a greater challenge for you and I this evening as we think about who it is that we're following? Because I want to ask you, As we think about who we're following, who do you think or who do you know are the bad shepherds in your life? What are those tendencies 
those philosophies, those ideologies, those attitudes that unlike the good shepherd have come only to steal, kill and destroy but whose voices you might be listening to and following. What are those things in your life that are leading you away from abundant life? What are your bad shepherds? Maybe for you it's individualism, the need to define your own way and your own path. Maybe a bad shepherd in your life is ungodly ambition, where at all costs you need to achieve greater and earn more, all for yourself. Maybe it's pursuing a toxic identity, a never-ending pursuit of who you are and what you're worth, found in what you own, what you've achieved, or what others think of you. John Mark Comer again unpacks another bad shepherd, the bad shepherd of materialism. He says this, Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers are the priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. Who might be the bad shepherds whose voices you're listening to instead of Jesus's. No shame, no judgment. I listen to them as well. I want to suggest that each of us have ways and times in which we listen to the wrong voice. Whatever your poison is, can I suggest that in small ways and big, each of us will probably have a few. These bad shepherds will always lead us astray. They'll take from us rather than give. They'll lead us away from life and towards destruction. And rather than build us up, they'll tear us down. They do not lead to abundant life, but to a closed off, shrinking, unsatisfying and imprisoned life. And sooner or later, they'll kill us. So how can we hear and follow the voice of the good shepherd? Can I, as we finish, quickly suggest two practical steps? Firstly, you and I can learn to hear the good shepherd's voice. Amongst all the clamor of the other voices that are trying to drown out his good and loving beckoning onwards, we can learn to hear Jesus. And I'm afraid it sounds simple, but there are no simple shortcuts. In fact, the way to learn to hear Jesus is, in fact, frustratingly obvious. I imagine some of you are already getting ready to say what I'm going to say. And the way that we learn to listen to Jesus is to listen to his words. And the place we can most clearly and consistently and reliably hear him speaking is through the word. Through the place where he promises to speak to us. And so if you want to learn to hear Jesus' voice against the clamor of all the other voices, then can I encourage you to get into this book where he has 
guaranteed and promised to speak to us every time. Uh, But please don't hear that prescriptively. Uh, It took me a long time to learn this, but you should read the Bible how you can read the Bible, not how you think you should read the Bible. So whether that's in big chunks or small, whether that's using something like the Lectio 365 app or reading through a gospel chapter by chapter, whether that's every morning by yourself or, or regularly with others in small group, whatever it is, can I suggest at least as a starting point, it doesn't matter. Just read it. Just get into this book. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Read a verse a day, if that's all you think you can do. And as you read it, listen. And begin to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And as you learn to discern his voice through this book, I believe you'll begin to discern to hear his voice elsewhere. You'll hear the whisper of his spirit. You'll see him at work in the world. Firstly, we need to learn to hear his voice. Secondly, and finally, when we hear his voice, we need to follow. It's been said that God's love language is obedience. That in reality, what it means to be a Christian is not primarily intellectual assent or doctrinal confession, that both those things are good. But what being a Christian is primarily about is following Jesus. And following not just what he said, but following how he lived. It's about modeling our lives after him. So if you want to be a person who follows the good shepherd, once you've heard his voice, do what he says. However much it disagrees with the voices of the bad shepherds, whether you fully understand what he's saying or not, when you hear his voice, do what he tells you. That's hard. I'm not going to pretend that it isn't. Because the bad shepherds are loud and tempting and popular. But this is not a one-off thing. It's not one and done. If you haven't managed it yet, it's not too late. This is a daily decision to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that is a decision in which Jesus promises that he'll never abandon us. But he'll be close to us as our loving, good shepherd. He promises that he'll be close to us by his spirit, never leaving us alone, but walking with us. Jesus loves you. He wants to lead you. He's done all that needs to be done to protect you. And so hear his voice and follow And I want to finish now by offering an opportunity to pray. To pray into that and asking that God would come and do what we, he needs to do to give us the strength to do what's easy to say but hard to live. And I want to pray in three ways. Uh, and so I'm, I'll tell you now and then I'll pray for it and you can respond as, as you feel God leads you. Firstly, I want to pray for those of us who want to hear the voice of Jesus again. Maybe you've always struggled. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it feels impossible. But I believe that Jesus is speaking and he wants you to hear. 
So I want to pray for people who find that difficult, that God would empower us by his spirit to make it possible. I want to pray for those of us who want to follow the voice as we hear it, for boldness and courage to go that way rather than the way of the other voices. And finally, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't yet know Jesus. Maybe you never realized that this is what God was like, the good shepherd. And if that's you, I want to pray and give you an opportunity to to choose to follow him tonight. So why don't we stand all together? I'm going to pray for those things. We'll invite God's spirit to come. And then we trust as we wait, uh, he moves amongst us. And often what we experience is the more we wait, the more he does. So I'll pray and then we'll let God's spirit do whatever he wants to do. And if you want to respond, I'm not going to prescribe anything, but as we pray, if, if any of these are for you, just make it, make it real in your heart. Respond however the Lord is leading you. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that of all the pictures you could have chosen to show us what you're like as king, you chose this picture of love, of gentle leadership, of rescuing protection. And Lord, we want to know you like this and follow you like this. And so Lord Jesus, I want to pray now for my brothers and sisters who you are calling in this time and in this place to respond. God, for those of us who feel the call to listen again for your voice. God, I pray that you'd come now by your spirit and fill us and give us ears to hear all that you're saying. And God, I know that for some of us here tonight, the barrier to that will feel like the Bible. It feels difficult and scary. God, for those for whom hearing your voice in scripture is difficult, I pray that you'd come now by your spirit and even even in the coming days and hours, begin to speak through your word. Would it not be a a dusty rule book, but would it be the place where your voice is heard? God, for those of us who want to be bold and courageous and to follow you, God, I pray that you'd come with a spirit of courage and doing us more than we could dare ask or imagine. You'd make us people of faithfulness. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who want to say for the first time that that we need you as our shepherd, Lord, we're sorry for when we've listened to the other voices and gone astray. But God, thank you that you tell us that you leave the 99 in order to chase down the one. Thank you that you came and died for us so that sin and death could have no victory over us. And I want to ask for these, my new brothers and sisters, that you would please come and fill them with your spirit as they turn to you. So Lord Jesus, whatever it is you want to do in each one of us all over this room, we pray come Holy Spirit, you have the room. And often we find the more we wait, 
the more space we give him, the more that God can do, the more that God can speak. So Spirit of Jesus, would you move amongst us? Before service we were praying and, and there was somebody who had a picture of somebody whose ears were filled with gunk and so it was difficult for them to hear and I just wonder whether that particular word that John's brought about God knowing God loves us, knows us by name, whether there are perhaps people here this evening who have, have just believed or heard things spoken about them that makes them feel like they're not lovable, that God can't love them or, or that or God might love them a little bit but not really love them or, or whether there are other things that just we have filled our ears with or you know not us by choice but by other things in our life that have filled our ears with things that are not true that that speak um discouragement and untruth to us and they've filled our ears and maybe there's a sense as well about God really wanting to remove that tonight so that we can hear him clearly and believe and receive that love Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you do know us by name. Whether our name is Brian or anything else, you have called us by name. You know every single experience of our lives. You know those things which have made us feel completely worthless. And you know the truth about who you made us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come now by your spirit and you would remove the things, the blockages in our ears. You'd remove anything which prevents us from hearing your truthful love and your call of our name so that we might follow you. So, Lord, unblock our ears. All of us have got stuff in there that shouldn't be there. All of us have got things that we have heard spoken over us or said to us which is not from you. And so please, would you clear out our ears that we might hear your loving truth for us again tonight. Good shepherd, we ask in your name. Amen. We're going to begin to worship. Uh, if you're meeting uh, with the Lord, keep, keep praying where you are. Or do make your way forward uh, and people would love to stand with you and pray into whatever it is that God's saying. Uh, but we just wonder, we, we could be completely wrong about this and it's, it's fine if we are. Um, but we just, we have a sense that maybe God is saying that there's someone here tonight uh, and you weren't named when you were first born. You weren't named when you were a child. And actually you were, you were first named when you were a bit older. And that your new name, the name that you eventually got, means in some way hope or has something to do with hope. And we just wonder if, if you're here, if that's right, that God wants to meet with you. And he wants you to know that he has always known your name, that you've not been missed out, that he loves you. And if that's right, if you're here, uh, then we'd love to pray for you. And can I ask, as we start to, to worship uh, for you to come forward and, and we'd love just to lay on hands and pray God's blessing over you. Uh, but if there's anything that you would like to meet with Jesus about, if you've been praying into any of those areas, if you've come to know Jesus tonight, as we start to worship, why don't you come forward? We'll pray for you and then we'll see what else God wants to do.